Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Hello, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving. Today, we're airing a special Thanksgiving episode. I'm sitting down with therapist Nedra Tawab to discuss navigating familial relationships, which can be very tricky over the holiday season, honoring boundaries both ways, and unlearning as we go. Our conversation is rich and filled with gems, so I suggest you pull out your journal and your favorite pen and listen closely especially if you're going to be around family today, birth family or chosen family, or maybe you're going to be alone. This episode could give you some insight on how to navigate it all. I hope you have a wonderful, calm, and easy holiday season. Take care of yourself and I'll chat with you soon. Hi, I'm Alex L and I write books for a living. The Hey Girl podcast was created with sisterhood and storytelling in mind. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hey girl. Join us as we journey through sharing together. Hey girl. Hey girl. Hi Nedra, how are you today? I am well, how are you? I'm doing well. Um, I'm very excited to be connected with you and to talk with you. But before we get started, please let the Hey Girl listeners know who you are and what you do. I am a licensed clinical social worker in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm a therapist. I said all that long title to just say that I'm a therapist, and I use Instagram as a platform to talk about relationships and mental health and to spread the message of destigmatizing what therapy could look like, because I think for so many people, we don't have a real concept of what that is. Mm -hmm. So I love the way that I've been able to connect with people on Instagram and give them a different different view of what therapy could possibly look like for them. I think that it's amazing that you're using social media to connect with folks and give people a different view or a different lens of what therapy could be. So I want to learn a little more about the reparenting aspect of your work. You talk a lot about that. Um, you also talk a lot about boundaries and what that looks like. And with the holidays in a few days, I definitely want to lean deeper into the whole boundaries thing when talking about parents and family. I guess my first question is, how would you tell someone to honor their boundaries over this holiday season, specifically around self-care and how they show up in their familial um, circles? I think the most important thing about boundaries during the holiday season is to be clear about what your boundaries are. Sometimes we go into these situations and we know that things make us feel a certain way, but we're not exactly clear of how do we minimize the conversations around I don't eat pork or um, how do we redirect the conversations when people make certain comments. So before you go into these interactions, that you predict will be difficult, I think it's important for you to kind of have an outline of this is how I'll respond to this comment if it is posed. What made you get into therapy? 
So when I was a kid, I didn't know exactly what a therapist was. I thought for a while, like, I want to be a judge. And then I was like, no, I don't want to be a judge. And then I thought I wanted to be a psychiatrist. And then I realized they gave out medication. And then Mm -hmm. for years, I'm like, I don't know what I want to do. And so when I started college, I kind of moved back towards at least social work. But I don't feel like I really, really knew that I wanted to be a therapist until I saw my first client and I just saw like the the light bulbs going off and aha moments and the ability to connect and impact. And I was like, okay, this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Before that, I feel like I had all of these life experiences that put me in a position to be a good therapist, but I wasn't exactly clear until I started actually doing this work. I think that's really amazing because so many people, including myself, have walked through different things where we're like, I don't know what I really want to do. I don't know how I want to get there. I know with me personally, like I wasn't expecting to write books for a living and now that's what I do. So it's just Mm -hmm. like, huh, this light bulb moment of, hey, I have a voice and here's how I want to use it. With your first client, do you remember that exact aha moment for you? The aha moment was just being the person who could listen to them and not do it in the traditional way of, you know, how we listen to people when they're our friends and our family Mm -hmm. members and we're not really listening to them. We're just listening to respond or to tell our experience, but just sitting with someone as they're discussing like this really difficult, uncomfortable thing and just saying, And how did that make you feel? And what did you think? Just making them dig deeper and just seeing like the changes from week to week. I was like, oh, wow, this is really important because up until that point, my idea of therapy was, you know, like Ayanla or, you know, like maybe Mm. a doctor feel, but I didn't, I didn't know any therapist. Now, of course I was in grad school to become one and we're practicing this stuff, but there's nothing like really being in the moment and you're like, oh, it's not anybody watching you. It's not, Mm -hmm. you know, supervised. They're like, you're on your own, do this. And I'm like, oh, wow, I can really do this. As a woman of color in the wellness and mental health space, what have you learned about engaging with your patients and being that neutral party to listen and to help folks dig deeper? Because I know like it's not many of you doing what you're doing in the mental health field. So I definitely want to explore that a little bit. Like how is that work for you being a Black woman in this space? Well, I will say that for Black people, when they are seeking counseling, my hardest job is getting them to be comfortable with me Mm -hmm. because we have to first fight through uh, the weaknesses that they think they have as a result of having to talk to somebody about their issues and the deficits that they think that they have because they aren't able to fix these things on their own. We have to really dig into some of those things they've been taught in their family that they're still trying to uphold in some ways, but it's just not working for them and the lifestyle that they're trying to have. So it it seems to be a lot of, I don't want to say cultural work, but it seems to be a lot of deep work because I think we do come in with, I have to do it this way more so than other cultures. Like I have to do it this way because this is the only thing that's acceptable in my culture. And so for me, it is a lot of helping them to unlearn things that no longer fits their life and helping Mm. them 
figure out a comfort level with, you know, if they want to share this experience or if they just want to be, you know, an example of what progress could look like. And then, you know, like the response to that from other people in their life, because people see you growing and it's like, you know, they like the you with no boundaries. They like Mm -hmm. the person you were who, you know, didn't have expectations for yourself. So helping them grow beyond what the norm was for them is, you know, the biggest thing that um, I think I do with my um, clients. So I was browsing your Instagram before our chat, and there's a lot of talk about family. And something that really stood out to me, especially as an only child, was your diagram of family does not have to be biological. Mm. And you have these three circles and you break that down. And in the middle, it says people who treat you well. And that continues to knock my socks off because one, I was raised an only child. Two, I have a complicated family. And three, I've gathered quite a few sister friends along the way as I've grown and evolved. And we often sit around and have these conversations about what family looks like, what it feels like, and how we want it to look and feel. So I would love for you to dive a little deeper with how family does not have to be biological and maybe expand on that a bit for folks who are struggling with that, who are going to be listening to this show around the holiday season and thinking, where do I fit here? I don't have a family or my family is strained or my family isn't boundaried and all those kind of complicated feelings that come along with the family circle. Well, I think that your family is what you create and that could be biological or it could be friends, it could be coworkers, it could be a community of people that you create and identify as healthy people. When we start to force ourselves to have relationships with people who we don't feel connected to just for the sake of having a family, I think that causes a lot of mental health issues and it puts unreasonable expectations on these people who can't can't achieve what we need them to do when we can go elsewhere. If you have a relationship with your mother and she's not a nurturing person, I often think, well, who else might be nurturing? Maybe it's someone who you work with who, you know, always invites you over for Thanksgiving and you say no because you're Mm -hmm. saying, that's not my family, but Mm -hmm. that's an invite. And that seems to be a person who values you enough to say, hey, I want you to be a part of my family. So we have to work on um, this idea that family can only be biological because some of our healthier relationships can be outside of our family. Mm, that's major. That's really major and groundbreaking. I'm going to be taking notes <laughs> on this. Another thing I want us to talk about a little bit is navigating trauma Mm -hmm. and shame. Mm -hmm. So that's something else that you um, expand on a little on your social media. And I want to know how it's been, number one, I guess this is a two-part question. Number one, how it's been to cultivate this community through Instagram on giving people these different tools who maybe cannot afford to go to traditional therapy. There's so many different therapists online now really giving awesome insights on how we can lean deeper into our best selves, have boundaries, deal with shame, and those type of things. So one is, how has that been, cultivating community through Instagram? And two, 
when you're talking about things like trauma and shame and folks are engaging with the work on Instagram, how do you encourage them to take it off the internet and find support in the real world, if that makes sense? So the cultivated community on Instagram, that part of it has been amazing because I'm able in real time to see the diversity of Mm -hmm. people who have trauma and family issues. And it's just amazing because I think so often we assume that the people who have traumatic experience also live traumatic lives, like they're in prison, they're, you know, impoverished, they're all of these things. And I think we largely forget about people who wear a mask, they're attorneys, and they're doctors, and they're celebrities, and they're all sorts of people. And I think on Instagram, you get to see the diversity of trauma. And I think that's a beautiful thing. It's not just one thing, it's it's so many things. And the ramifications of trauma is not always the same. You know, we assume it's the person who has a substance abuse issue and not the person who has a shopping issue. It's just been amazing for me to to see people like in the comments and DMing me their stories and sharing stories with each other that are really helpful. Like people will say like, oh, wow, when I was your age, I had this same issue to somebody else in the comments. And then they're able to connect and kind of sort through those issues. And we need that community because so often, particularly with trauma and especially with family trauma, it's it's such a shameful thing because we feel like our families are supposed to be healthy and every mother is great and all of this stuff. And when we don't have that community around like, I don't have a healthy mom or I don't have a healthy dad. It feels very isolating. So in this space, people have been able to connect and, you know, say me too. And it's 20,000 people saying, hey, me too. I identify with this thing. And I think that gives people comfort in knowing that I'm not the only person and that perhaps I can use some of these tools to get through my trauma, to heal, to work on myself. So that part of it, I think has been amazing. Now the piece where I see that people are really struggling and, you know, sometimes I'll get, you know, messages about like, how do I do this exactly? And how do I overcome my trauma? And they'll tell me this long story. And I, you know, my directive is always talk to a therapist because we can't open up these issues on Instagram. And that is the beauty of therapy to have this person who you can really get into it with and go through these things. Because on Instagram, I am speaking to the masses. I am saying, you know, I'm doing these charts. I'm creating listicles. And it is to the masses. It's not individualized information. And it can't be. It's like this community forum, but people want like this individualized information. And I get Mm -hmm. it because you may be reading this and having like these aha moments. But I think that that stuff, like that deep trauma work, it needs to be unfolded in a space with, with a therapist. And I do get the idea that therapy is, you know, often unattainable. It's expensive. And I'm constantly putting up options for free therapy. If you live near a college, most colleges have, you know, like therapy programs and those folks will see people for free or for $10. It escapes me at this moment, but there are low cost options for therapy. There are some options that we have to be willing to explore. Sometimes we have to pay our copay. You'll be surprised at the amount of people who don't want to go maybe to therapy because they don't want to pay the $25. They really do want free therapy. And sometimes it's making a hard decision of do I want to pay for therapy 
happy or do I want to do these other things in life? So I think it's so many choices around how you do the work. I think therapy is just one part of doing the work. And I think some other parts of that is, you know, reading and applying that stuff that you're actually reading. That's huge. That's when I say, like, I feel like I was groomed to be a therapist before I actually became a therapist. I was an avid reader when I was a kid and I was reading self-help when I was a teenager. I was reading Ayanla and I was taking everything Erica Badu said and digesting it and really processing. Like I was, <laughs> I, I was, you know, like trying to figure out like stuff in life. We have that information and we don't want that to be the answer to have to make those difficult decisions in our relationships. We want some other answer. So we don't want to read the book about improving your relationships and actually apply it. We're looking for a different, easier answer that they're not going to say in the book. We, we may not want to go to therapy and work through that stuff because it's like, okay, I want something that's going to be a little smooth for me to do. And I think the real difficult part is applying all of this stuff that, you know, sometimes we already know what to do. And sometimes we already know how to get the information. And, you know, I feel like on Instagram, there are tons of of tools um, on my page and other therapist pages. There's tons of information, but I think that application piece is, you know, it's, it's the biggest challenge. It is challenging. Like doing the work is challenging. Breaking down these barriers that we have around certain things is difficult. (laughs) And a lot of people get scared by it. I know I was. I was terrified of doing my self-work. And then I kept being called back to it. Things I thought I had already, you know, settled and and, um, addressed would continue to come up because why I had more work to do. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's really essential for people to know, like to dive deep and dig deep into our self-work is going to suck dare I say and then like maybe it'll get better and then it'll ebb and flow so I want to chat about two more things before we wrap up this conversation the first one being self boundaries often we're talking about boundaries in regards to other people relating to us how about when we have to relate to ourselves and honor the boundaries that we put into place for ourselves I wrote a little bit about that yesterday and shared on social media and the second part of my question is how do we turn boundaries from this quote-unquote bad word to something that is more well-received. I find that it floats around social media and things like that, and some people hate the word and some people love the word. So what would you say in regards to, one, honoring self-boundaries, and two, turning the word boundary from this um, trend or bad word to something that actually can be positive and healthy? Well, I think the, you know, boundaries happen in two parts. It's what we tell people and then it's what we do ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the part that we talk about mostly is like, you know, setting this boundary with someone else and telling them what we need them to do. And we don't really uphold what we need them to do. Like once Mm -hmm. you verbalize that boundary to someone and you know that they heard you, what do you do if it's violated? That Mm -hmm. is a self-boundary. Coming Mm -hmm. up with those expectations for yourself. I think some Sometimes there's a challenge with that accountability. Like we want to just put that on someone else. Like, oh, they're not doing it. And I'm like, well, also, what are you not doing? Because you have a lot of options here in terms of what you could be doing to have the outcome that you desire. Yes, this person is, you know, maybe not listening to you and they're not honoring you, but how are you honoring yourself by allowing them to not do this thing that you requested? And that's the really difficult piece that we actually have to do something too, that 
we can't just go around saying like, you need to do this, you need to do this, and you need to do this. It's like, and I also need to do these things if you don't do that. So on Mondays, every Monday, I have a Q&A in my Instagram stories. And most of the questions are about how do I control this other person? I'll respond and I'll say, you know, um, the biggest control that we have is over ourselves. So if you're in a relationship with someone and they're demonstrating something that you don't like and you, you say something to it about it and, you know, this sort of thing, then what do you do? In what ways can you be accountable? accountable for being in healthy relationships other than saying they have to do all the work. So I, you know, I think that self boundaries are really like taking care of ourselves. It's maintaining those things that we tell others that, you know, we want in our relationships. We have to maintain what we say to them. We have to figure out a way to, to take care of ourselves. This, you know, the hardest part is not necessarily verbalizing it. The hardest part is upholding it and being true to your word of, I need, you to X, Y, and Z. And if the person does it, great. And if they do not, what do you do? What is your promise to yourself? What are you going to do when people are not respecting you in a way that they're supposed to? Do you say, oh, they just won't respect me. I can't believe they won't respect me. Or do you say, this is not a healthy relationship for me. And one of my personal boundaries is to be in healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of power in that. So what do you do if this relationship isn't healthy? You now have choices. So those personal, you know, those self boundaries, it's using the choices that you have to create this life that you want. You have a lot of choices in how you show up in relationships and how you allow others to show up in those relationships. Well, I love words. And I think that words sort of encompass the meaning of something. Now, whether we want to call a thing by definition, it doesn't mean that it's not that thing, right? right. Mm -hmm. So if I see a hat on someone's head and I say, that's something on someone's head, it's still a hat. You don't have to use the word if you don't want to, but that's right. what it is, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so <laughs> whether you want to call a boundary a boundary, I mean, it, it's still a boundary. And I didn't know always know what boundaries were. I had to figure out, you know, like, oh, wow, that was me setting a boundary. I had mm -hmm. no clue. I had no mm -hmm. clue that that is what that meant, but I knew what the behavior was. So yes, I call that I'm just being healthy. I'm making you know, good choices for myself. But really what I was doing is setting a boundary. So I think, you know, in terms of definitions of words, we get a little burnt out with definitions, boundaries and upholding and, you know, all of these words that we tend to um, see become very popular for a time. We, we do get a little burnt out. We're like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired of hearing about self-care. You know, all of this. Self-accountability and all yeah. those things. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, that, that, sometimes does become frustrating. But I think the meaning of it is is the same, that whether you say, you know, I'm going to be healthy or I'm just existing or whatever sort of thing that you use, it's probably um, a boundary. Now, whether you want to use the word or not, that's up to you. Of course. Okay. So before we wrap up, what would you 
I know people are going to want me to ask you this question, so I'm going to ask for the three tips that you would give to folks navigating their self-care, their boundaries, and another word people are might be tired of, upholding <laughs> their end <laughs> their end of the bargain when it comes to moving in different familial spaces around this holiday season. Mm. You gave me the three bad words. Okay. I did. <laughs> Well, the first tip is do not assume. Do not assume um, how people respond. Do not assume that you won't be able to say the things properly or that it will be perceived in a certain way. Do not assume that people will be upset at you once you say these things because so often it keeps us from engaging in healthy things because we are consumed with assuming that this is going to be a bad thing. So do not assume. That's my first tip. Second tip is we always have to consider um, whether something is healthy for us or not. And so self-care, I'm, I'm happy it's had a resurgence. This is another one of my favorite words because it continues to get, you know, like this selfish, bad, you're not thinking enough of other people sort of rap. And I think that's very protective for people who want you to be thinking about them when you're thinking about yourself. But I think that self-care is so, so important. And I remember I'm a mother of two and my kids are, you know, they're toddlers and a little bit bigger now. And I can remember like when you breastfeed and they tell you to drink water. And I really thought of that as like, wow, self-care first. Like you can't even produce milk mm -hmm. if you're not taking care of your body. How powerful is that? Magic. Magic that this doctor is telling you, take care of yourself and then you can feed your baby. Like, oh, wow, how powerful. So all I have to do is hydrate, which I'm supposed to be doing anyway, but I do a poor job of it. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's so important. And I, I think that that and so many other examples of us just taking care of ourselves and then going into the world with energy and in the right mental space to help other people is so important. So I think that self-care is so many things. It's, um, it's setting boundaries. It's creating a lifestyle that's pleasing to you. It's admitting when you're bothered. I think it's processing your feelings. It's identifying your trauma. It's so many things. I think of it outside of the scope of like pedicures and Black Friday shopping and, you know, all of this sort of stuff. Right. I think of it as just nourishing your mind, your body, and your spirit. That's really what self-care is. And doing that as a way to be in relationships with others. But the relationship that you have first is with yourself. And you have to take care of yourself before you can be, you know, a healthy parent, friend, coworker, or anything else. Absolutely. Oh, I have another tip. You right? have one more. That's you have one it. more. <laughs> uh, three, three, three. Okay. Um, so my third tip is, here's another word that people don't like, unlearning. It's such a powerful thing because I think so often we have gotten into this mode of just doing things because that's the way it's always been done to the point that we don't even know why we're doing them. I caught myself putting some um, sugar in my spaghetti sauce and I didn't even know why I did it, right? It's just something I saw my mom do. And this was a few years ago. And I said, let me just taste it without the sugar. And I actually 
actually liked it. <laughs> I liked it without the sugar. And it, you know, I think there are so many things. That's a, you know, maybe a small example, but I think there are so many things that we do that we have just been doing. We haven't challenged it. We haven't challenged the idea of um, you have to have relationships with your family no matter what. But what about when those relationships aren't healthy? Does that really work for you? Maybe that works for, you know, other people in your family, but does that work for you? So just really getting in there and thinking about the things that we do and we just sort of do them passively because we've always done them. We haven't challenged the idea that maybe there's something different I could do that would make me happier. Or maybe I would like this thing if I did it, you know, another way. So unlearning is my third tip. Thanks for listening to the show today. Please rate, subscribe, and review. Also, feel free to share with a friend. We love having our community grow. Music is by DC's own Kokai. The Hey Girl podcast is produced by Wayne Bertram and me, Alex L. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.